You're now listening to From The Jump, where we keep the convo going with the latest and greatest in hip-hop. With your hosts, Mr. White and Syllable. They tell it like it is. From The Jump. Welcome to From The Jump, your source for hip-hop trends, news, and dialogue about what's popping. Guesting here today is our hosts featuring Mr. White and Yo. Syllable from the ATX area. And today we're going to talk about the wackest famous rapper, none other than Vanilla Ice. We'll discuss his uh, rise to fame, a few unknown details that are part of hip-hop history, and more. The wackest famous rapper, Ice. So, you know, I like that you use that phrase, the wackest famous rapper or the wackest most famous rapper, because I think it's very interesting how he kind of got into the game. And it's also very interesting how media, money, uh, big business can oftentimes, you know, destroy something that could could have been better. Right. Like that could have been actually something that was more potent and relevant and not so, you know, uh, basically, uh, you know, planted, right? Everything yeah. was constructed about who he was as an artist, although his story isn't that exactly of that same vein. So yeah. I think that's what's really interesting about it. There's a lot of uh, parallels between him and new white artists, right? Like white yeah. artists aren't a thing that are foreign anymore. You got... You got your uh, your Eminem, you know, that kind of brought that wave. But then now you have a new wave that's coming on with like a Post Malone or uh, you have Macklemore, little Dick. You have Macklemore. Yeah. You have so it's it's a slew of uh, white artists in hip hop now, and their their ability to stay on or not stay on is very centered around this whole vanilla ice theory right and i think that that's that's what we want to break down here today so yeah what, what what was your first introduction to vanilla ice just as an artist like what did you like i mean when the first time you knew about him or heard his music? i mean it was probably watching teenage mutant ninja turtles i'll be honest really? i was probably watching okay. teenage mutant ninja turtles the movie secret of the ooze i think it was like the second one and i saw vanilla ice on there and i was like wait what's this uh <laughs> Cause I was like, I don't identify that as rap, but it's something. Um, but yeah, just to, to go back to kind of like the timeline here of like what, what all got jumped off. So not everyone knows this, that uh, Vanilla Ice is actually from Dallas and he okay. tried to make a, a claim that he was from Miami and try to rep that. He got flack about that as well. He's actually from uh, Dallas and he was discovered in a club called City Lights in South Dallas. I mean, this is the same club that's featured artists like LL Cool J, Too Short, NWA. It was popping back then. Heavy so, hitters. Yeah. And, and he was in a, he was in a, in a space where you know, I would imagine it to like a, a jazz juke joint of the 20s, right? Like where, you know, a kind of a mecca of culture. So, you know, like even being in that space took a, a certain amount of courage, right? Like as a white dude. He was know? the only white dude in there. It was a black club. <laughs> it was, yeah. there wasn't like an interspersing of it. Like, no, no. <laughs> the only white dude in that club. <laughs> And that was how he got attention. He was busting out the moves. He was dancing, doing his thing. And DJ Earthquake, who was on the ones and twos, kind of spotted him like, wait, first of all, what's this white dude doing in, in our club? Second of all, wait, 
he's got some moves. You know, the yeah. girls upon him. Yeah. You know, I mean, half the club was strapped. It was, uh, you know, hustlers, ballers, dealers. Everyone was there in this kind of uneasy alliance because they're grooving to the music. And here's this white dude with this, uh, I don't know what kind of haircut you call it, this like, Moose I mean, style. he was rocking whatever style that the, the, <laughs> the black people was rocking. It was like it was right. like that perm, yeah. But it had the lining on it. Like that was the, everybody rocked that. That was like the eighties, yeah. basically. Like I can't just I'm I was born in eighty eight, so it was a little you know I didn't really experience that more. I experienced mm -hmm. the nineties stuff, but that cut was quintessential, like late eighties. That's yeah. that's what he had, and he was he was into the culture. Like it wasn't like he was just. um I guess if you look at it at that time, he wasn't just enamored. He lived in right. that urban area and grew up there and was comfortable with that vibe, like identified with that vibe at that time. So yeah. nobody, at the, to be honest, like if you look at how he came up, nobody looked at him as like a fraud at that time, right? No. They just saw him as a white boy with a lot of talent. Right, like he well, can really dance and he can really he was a dancer first. Right? Yes, exactly. And then a rapper a far, 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 far distant second, like across an ocean distant second. And the thing was is that, you know, Dallas wasn't really popping for hip hop back then. It wasn't. And nah, I couldn't no I respected hip hop. I never heard nothing about Dallas. No. And the late eighties was nothing. And mm -hmm. DJ Screws, you know, chopped and screwed legacy didn't start really that was it. popping Houston, until though. the mid mid nineties in, in Houston. So for anything outside of like Philly or New York City, it wasn't considered authentic back in that era. So it was yeah. you know, it was unusual. And so DJ, you know, Earthquake was part of this whole scene at that Club City Lights and they were trying to pop it off, trying to get local talent involved, A and R record labels coming over there by holding these competitions. And so now the record labels started sniffing around and saying, Okay, what's up with this? And Vanilla Ice basically on a dare from a friend of his, even though he was only twenty years old, not technically allowed in the twenty one and up club, entered the competition. And they were making fun of him and everything. And he got up on stage, started beatboxing, started doing his moves. And he wowed so many people with that. Yeah, I mean, he was actually talented because, and it, yeah. it sounds like, you know, when a, a part of what he was doing growing up was uh, hip hop busking. We talked about yeah. that in the last thing where he would be in the mall, beatboxing, rapping, doing all of that. So like he, it, you know what I'm saying? Like you could say, you know, he was kind of, you know, like when they say cultural appropriation, but I think he really appreciates the culture, right? Like, I don't think at that time, even, even at that point, even up to that point where him getting on the stage and rapping, that was like some Eminem a mouse shit, right? Like he was the white boy yeah. that wanted to be in that wanted to be down. He was trying to be real about the culture and he took it seriously at that time. And I think that People notice that, right? Like they yeah. and, and people for, to the just like to the average listener when it comes to music or the average viewer when it comes to art, they don't know how to interpret it, right? Like not on a high level, they're not sitting there critiquing it. Like they're looking at it like I can't do that. Like this person is able to dance and rap and like that's actually kind of cool. Like I didn't even and you, well, you and the especially at the time general, a white person back in that day was just a subculture. It wasn't something yes. that was even known. There wasn't really any crossover. Like obviously Run DMC and Aerosmith and their crossover happened, but it didn't. And then you had Beastie Boys, happened. but that was like a very specific, Frat boy, you know, yeah. kind of. It wasn't. It wasn't like rap. It was. It was like a a white version of rap, but like not really. And so it was party music. 
But the thing was is that people also don't realize this. This is kind of like kind of the hidden backstory about Vanilla Ice is that he was already building a reputation for himself going around uh, winning motocross contests and becoming certified on Forest Lane in South Dallas. So, like, it's interesting when you look at that. It's very unknown that he actually was doing stuff before his big. Well, hit. he was a ser- he seemed like a serious dude, right? Like even even to this day, like he he might seem kind of corny, right? Like when he's doing an interview, but he seems like he, for some reason, takes himself very seriously, right? Like he does he things with a nature that he would have never made it to that level of success if he was just some lazy ass oaf, and like he had dedication, he had yeah. a, a certain level of demeanor and charisma. And that's, those are, you know, when people talk about like it factors, like that stuff right. that was, it's just in him, right? Like, and he, I don't think that like yeah, from the outside really. looking in, we're like, people are like clowning him saying he's corny, but to him, he, he thought he was the shit. <laughs> and for a time he was the shit, right? Like for a time he was, he was. Well, well yeah, I mean, he was so huge. what happened is, you know, after that, you know, kind of night at, at City Lights when he became well known to everyone there and the A&R is handing him their cards and stuff like that. Then he started opening up for like two live crew, Rob Bass, MC Hammer, who he toured with later. You know, he opened Which up. Which I think is that. like a perfect uh, example of who Vanilla Ice really was. He was like an MC Hammer rapper, right? Like MC right. Hammer, he ain't really had bars. He was huge. He was he a huge dance. performer. He was yeah. a huge megastar. And they they definitely parallel. He's like a white MC Hammer to me. I would say that's a great comparison. Um, and he opened up basically for Public Enemy in the 1989 uh, tour. And Chuck D was so impressed, he wanted to sign Vanilla Ice. You don't hear about this. Public Enemy wanted to sign Vanilla Ice. Public I mean, enemy. he was made, he was huge though. He was <laughs> like, like people made deals. Beastie yeah. Boys got signed for a reason. You know, yeah. they wanted to exploit that. They knew that this certain thing, especially because like the way they tell it or the way it sounds like in his story, which makes sense. At that time, you would not have been able to really perform for a white audience doing hip hop because hip hop wasn't even big enough to be on that level. There was only certain acts like MC Hammer that were yeah. able to break through and cross over. We talked about the few p- people that could cross over. Sure. He was one of those acts that had been able to cross over the white crowds and Chuck D public enemy. They had been, they, you know, they weren't necessarily crossover, but they were big. I, I wouldn't call them crossover, but they definitely struck a chord to the point where they became they such a major rappers. group. Right. Yeah. That you know, but they had white people listen to them, right? right that's what they, I'm saying. They felt like they rap. were intelligent. It was yeah. more relevant to white audiences than I grew up in the projects, right? Yes. It was more relevant because, like, oh, yeah, uh, the government's messed You're up. You're talking about well. social issues, right. government, and stuff that. It, right. And when you look at this, really, kind of one of the hidden features of why ICE popped out actually goes back to audio engineering right it becomes the development of how hip-hop was created and Mm -hmm. really vanilla ice wouldn't have popped off at that moment in time if we didn't have the introduction of the sp 1200 and the akai mpc which Mm. just allowed for a quantum leap in sampling and what was happening is dj earthquake then resampled queens under pressure which vanilla ice had to pay royalties on like 85 percent crazy amount right later on but that hook but uh, what allowed that was the crossover for Queens fans that like whether they consciously recognize that riff or not, they were like, oh, 
wait, this sounds like something I'm already and listening it's, it's to. It's interesting because previously, like, there was sampling, right? Like, some of the biggest, like, hip-hop in itself is a sample music because even taking break beats from soul and funk music is sampling, right? So, in its essence, hip-hop started as a sampling music. But the type of stuff they were sampling weren't wasn't, like, whole songs until, like, that Good Times track came out. Yeah. And then they started actually taking, ripping whole, like, loops. And that became, that was hard to do, though, back then. Like, you had to have like they they talk about having a band coming in and having to play that whole position of that funk song live for them yeah. to have to actually record that so the npc made it to where you could chop up the loops and i i, I personally own one i i, I believe yeah. it's still one of the greatest uh, tools ever made in hip-hop but yes he was able to take a song like queen that you couldn't typically chop up that well or that or easily. under pressure yeah and then turned it turned it into a hip-hop track right he took yeah. the sample threw some drum beats on there and uh i it was kind of a, i feel like it was kind of a fluke type of thing like most musical uh like steps right like because nobody was sampling white music like that really either like that yeah. was like you said it's kind of aerosmith crossover but there wasn't like a pure sampling of this older rock music and being that was like the first time and then it became a bigger thing after that that just became the staple in hip-hop for a little yeah. while until all of the legal battles of course right because people got so. mad like i actually and not the sidebar but recently I was watching an issue uh, on Shaka Khan uh, and uh, she did the Through the Fire song uh, and that Kanye sample and she said she hated it. But you know, that's that's like the older artists don't really favor new artists sampling their music a lot of times and that's always you gotta been a be point good with it you just gotta make it sound dope there's a lot of you know just as another quick sidebar there's a lot of people that are modern that are trying to do covers of old songs classic yes. songs bands not even in the same genre trying to do pink floyd covers i'm like no just stop that it's not, it's <laughs> okay just, so you you're, you're also like cut it I'm out just, chill well i mean i've heard it I, okay i've heard some female singers do covers of leonard cohen songs that i thought okay the lyrics are so poetic and descriptive with imagery you can pull that off well, but there are other vocals, cases yeah, where i'm like like an acoustic live version of sometimes i think that works but not always yeah. like yes every sample is not a good sample every and and if you think about it, these great songs, they were good samples because they were already great songs, right? Yeah. Like you, you sample you Queen. just as great to do that yes. justice, right? Exactly. So a lot of, speaking of development of like, you know, engineering for audio and engineering, uh, the video for the, the song, Ice Ice Baby, when that came out, did not come out first. It came out much later. And so what happened is uh, DJ Earthquake, he said the first million copies that got sold for that were probably by black people that did not know Vanilla Ice was a white dude yet. And Yeah, they said he heard him on the radio. They right. thought he was black. Right. And so because that was the dominant, you know, uh, culture uh, for hip hop. And so then when you look at the video, it's, it's so funny. It catches you, but you don't want it to. Um, you you look at the uh, uh, the video, and it's meant to portray Miami because he's still trying to rep Miami, but actually mm -hmm. it's closer to home. We're in Austin, Texas. It was filmed in Deep Ellum, the historic district in Dallas there. I've actually been to Deep Ellum. There's uh, a lot of really amazing and beautiful artwork and murals that are over in yeah. that area. And so it's just interesting when you look at this. So 
no one knew he was he was white in the bit when it first came out then imagine that kind of whiplash effect when the video comes like wait this dude's a white guy oh man oh he's man dancing be- and he's like <laughs> his whole thing was dancing right so it's yeah. like you see him dancing and he's like he kind of had like the the michael jackson look that everybody yeah. kind of had at the time with the the shiny shiny jackets and yeah because that was that was hot back then like everybody did that but to see a white <laughs> everybody that was black did that to see white people dress like that and to to have that type of personality the, the, the it, was, Diddy flash. it seemed very uh, uh patronizing right like they're like wait yeah like you can't do this you know this isn't you know but at the same time initially people actually it was well received like that's that's the thing it like for a time people were like wait like we actually like this like this is cool like it seems like like they were listening to mc hammer they were in the mc hammer they were into the dancing rap they were into the party rap music like uh under pressure kind of uh or the the song ice ice baby fit into that mode it's a it's a bouncy just the same way that the song under pressure is it has that same feeling to it with a little bit more energy it's simple there's not a lot going on in there and and you know the whole way that it was put together was meant to connect with people that way right yeah it was was meant to be vanilla it was meant to be it was it meant to be vanilla he was looking like captain america meets aladdin i mean it was it looked (laughs) it was very funny it was very funny yeah but uh so it's interesting right part of the kind of hidden backstory people don't realize about this is uh he actually turned down a deal with def jam records right and Mm. and that's kind of where you got to wonder about forking the path right what would have happened would he have gotten the support that wouldn't be so focused on the american flag whitewashing hip-hop aspect would he have gotten like because he was with kind of a more underground label that wasn't really uh, yeah they were pushing him as you know white lightning right instead of being like letting him connect with his roots uh there was definitely allegations of him saying that they they put like he had some doing in his backstory but they kind of made it up for him oh yeah and that got him into a lot of trouble because there there's always been this kind of like authenticity step when it comes to hip-hop right like nobody is kind of uh immune to it at certain points if you can't validate who you are and who you claim to be uh you're not gonna you're not gonna get that same uh support and connection with your audience right well, especially and especially being a white rapper where you have yes. to actually prove yourself a lot more because you're stepping into another lane and so yep. when then you're lying about how hard you had it and this this i i take issue with personally uh with him saying that he was from the streets he was never from the streets me having grown up for you know many years living on the streets actually, you're not competing it, in motocross if you're from the streets i'm just right saying. right from the streets yeah no you hung out on the street but you weren't from the street there's a big difference he didn't grow up in government housing he didn't grow up in an alleyway he didn't grow up like actually having to dig in dumpsters for food like he wasn't from the streets so on one level i understand with hip-hop you know a lot of it being rooted in overcoming systemic oppression and silencing the voices of repressed minorities and being able to authentically speak about what that struggle is like for him to falsely try to lay claim to some of that struggle that he didn't actually survive i can understand from a hip hop. he said he went through some stuff but i think that the things that he went through 
were a bit skewed to a perspective that I, if, if you live in a suburban area and you're participating in a high, like, let, let me just put it like this. I wanted to play football one year. It cost $110. My mother could not afford to pay the fee for me to yeah. play football, period, point blank. I had to get a summer job. I worked at Subway so that I can buy my equipment fee. And that's that's the difference, right? Like when we talk right. motocross, that it costs money for the bike, it costs money to get to the events, all that. Like, where did that money come from? What, you know what I'm saying? Like, are you telling me Vanilla Ice was rich when he was 16? Not saying he was rich, but he he had, he had access to wealth. He was better unlike, off, un, yeah. Unlike other people, you know, like his, it, you know, his family did right by him. Obviously, so he made sure he was well off. That's all. I'm, I, I'm actually a former reporter for my college newspaper, and one of the things that we did is we went to uh, journalist competitions. And part of this kind of journalist uh, expose, uh, you know, event, we got a chance to sit in with a presentation by the Dallas Morning News, which is a great newspaper. It's phenomenal when you look at quality of journalism and reporting. It was actually the Dallas Morning News that started taking Vanilla Ice down when they started saying, well, hold up. Let's look at this. You went to school with two live crew? No, you didn't. That was a lie. You won thousands of trophies for Team Honda. Murray has reported that is a lie. lie. Uh, You did not win thousands of trophies for national motocross competitions. So, like... This fictional biography that he came, you know, I mean, rappers exaggerate, rappers. But he lie. said, but it's his, his defense, right? He said that he never meant for his bio to get dialed up like that. Right. He did not release it. It wasn't like a bio he wrote up. He was right. just like, after it was, it was done, it was release. done. He didn't really care. He didn't think it was going to be a big deal, right? Yeah. But that's the thing. We talked, we just said <laughs> it. Authenticity in hip hop yeah. is a big deal. Like, Well, it, I think the, the kind of nail in the coffin for that particular article was revealing his government name is Robert Van Winkle, which is not a rapper <laughs> Now, if he would have like gone with a Humpty Dumpty approach, right, and 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 went with MC Van Winkle, maybe maybe he could have got something on a Schoolhouse Rock level going on. But no, that was that was that was a lot of hard for him. But to that was the thing; he was being marketed to be so better, right? And at yeah. that at point, like the way they dressed him up, the way they paraded him out there, like he did, he was talented. In his own right. Like, he wasn't a, I right. wouldn't call him a great rapper, but he's not the worst rapper of all times either, right? Who's the worst uh, rapper of all time? No. Huh? <laughs> you who is the worst rapper of all time? Yeah. I don't if it, know. If it's not a rapper Ice, that never made it. If it's not yeah. Vanilla Ice. <laughs> well, um, no. This, so, his story. Just because it's generic doesn't yeah. mean that it's, it's bad, right? Like, that's, this, that's, that's, a, the I source think, followed up with an article, Vanilla Ice, Our Worst Nightmare. And they made some good points because they were criticizing Hammer for being too engineered, uh, hip hop being too whitewashed as a poppy, dancey look, you know, young MC, Vanilla Ice, MC Hammer, and basically saying that unless it's poppy, it's not going to hit. So I totally understand where the source is coming through. Well, that was the whole way that they were able to introduce this type of music to a white audience. I mean, they wanted it. It's just like, unfortunately, I mean, I, you know, I don't want to bring up historically how these things happen, but I have to 
black people made records that were considered too raunchy, although some of them weren't. And they were redone by white people to sound more white, to be more polite. And and, 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 and so it's sad that that happened. And and when you see it kind of happening in a new culture that you've created, the hip hop, and you see it happening again, you're almost like, wait, it's like they're trying to snatch our culture away from us once again and trying to tell us that you can't be popular doing this thing we're going to create a version of it that we think is safe and clean and can yeah. make people fit. although you know vanilla ice he, he kind of was a not saying a d-boy rapper but that was kind of his demeanor was like he was like a kind of a a drug dealer in the hood or something like that <laughs> you know like he was he, he was like he tried to have flashy. a little bit of that from the jump, jump. peace peace